We are actually coming up on a on an interesting stock play. Uh, it's an LNG player, and they're in that position where they can provide regasification services as well as tanker services. Yeah. So. Um, well, Something you, to look out for. you are the the second person to come on this podcast recently that's been very bullish on the tankers. And uh, other person being uh, Christian, Mr. Christian DeHamer. Me and me and Chris might have to talk about the tanker market. I'm not as is he stealing your ideas? Or I'm you, not as convinced st- about the oil tanker market. Okay. All right, uh, everyone, welcome to the show. We got uh, Keith <laughs> Cole joining us today. Uh, Keith is a market analyst specializing in technology and, and energy industries and. Uh, He's here today to talk to us about some market opportunities in those uh, in those sectors. So, uh, kind of want to just jump jump right into it with the uh, the diesel supply shortage. I've kind of been seeing some headlines. I, I don't I don't know anything about it. Uh, that you know we're going to run out of diesel. Is this kind of is this bullshit or what? Okay, it is and it isn't. Yeah. Right. So whenever you see that 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 days of supply number twenty five or whatever it is, it's complete bullshit. So. When I say bullshit, I mean the rhetoric around it you see in the media. Okay, If you look at the days of supply, right, on that exact same EIA chart where they all get it from, over the last 15 years, it's been averaging 30 days. Okay. (laughs) You know, like it's not not a crisis, right? What is disturbing is that diesel or distillate inventories are far, far below – the five-year average right now. I think they're like, I want to take a guess and say 20% less than what they were over the over the five-year average. Um, obviously, it's causing a diesel spike in prices, right? Um, I think I, on my way here, I saw that diesel in Baltimore was like 529. It's much, much higher in California. It's much higher in, in other places. Um, but the the issue I think is more around demand and and the lack of inventories. Um, specifically around diesel, we have more of a refining issue than say like you know a drilling issue. Yeah. Right. Um, is there like something about the refining process that? Well, if you notice, you see President Biden pretty much attacking oil companies nonstop. Right. Well. The trade association for that that made up refiners keep on answering Biden with with a letter basically, and um, just explaining that market factors are what's determining the price, not just some evil old guy at the top just like twiddling his thumbs like Montgomery Burns. Yeah, right. That, that's not how it's working. Um, so, in essence, uh, diesel is a huge issue because seventy two percent of trucking. Uh, 72 of, uh, 72% of cargo in the U.S. freight is transported by truck, right? So that's not even getting into the diesel issue out in Europe, which is a whole different, like, topic and podcast that we can do. But um, over here, basically, um, we're seeing high demand, and we are refining at around 94 95% capacity, and that's pretty much where it's been the whole time. So nothing's really changed, right? Um, aside from losing some capacity over the last couple of years, um, you have things like um, you have things like uh, incentive to go with renewable diesel. You uh, you have like other like um, obstacles for these refining companies, especially out in California. If you if you notice, like everybody's 
crying about diesel prices on the West Coast. And if you look at the chart, that they're, they're like two, three dollars above where the East Coast is, and it's mostly because of of uh, I'd say a weak um, investment environment out in the West Coast. You, you're not going yeah, to spend sense. billions of dollars building a diesel, uh, building up your diesel or your you're not going to spend billions of dollars building up your refinery capacity, right, when the government's just going to basically say you can't do it. Sure. Right. Uh, you don't make investment decisions. Do they tax the hell out of it out there, too? It or? is. I mean, that's kind of the funny thing about about high gas and, and diesel prices is when you see Biden come out and say, well, why don't you just lower the price of the pump? Like, he doesn't realize that overwhelming gas stations are completely, like, self-owned. Like, yep. forget that. It's it's not Exxon that's saying, well, you're going to have to sell it for $4 so yeah. that the average Joe can get can get shrimped a little bit. Um, but what was I saying? Uh, I don't, we were talking about diesel supply shortage and uh... – <laughs> Right, right. No, I was, I, was, yeah. I was heading down this path. But uh... – Well, do you want to talk about Biden? Because you've been, you've been writing about Biden a little bit lately. Uh, you, you seem to have some gripes with his so, energy policy. So here's the thing with Biden. Um this podcast probably isn't going to be out until after the midterms, I would assume, unless you guys have a really quick turnaround. One of them? How many days? Like four. Yeah, probably not. Right. So what we're going to find out is what, – what I should say like this. What's important is what the rhetoric is coming out after the midterms. Because up until now, you can chalk up everything to you know politicizing the issue, trying to get uh, Democrats to the vote, to the voting booths, trying to you know like just win, your t- win for your team. Right. That's why you attack oil companies, because it's an easy it's an easy W in the media until they start fighting back. And sure. Yeah. But it doesn't do anything for prices. But um, um, what's interesting is that if he just suspends the federal tax holiday and states do similar things, especially California, if you take away the taxes, you can immediately drop the price of the pump. I think that's the most effective way to do it. Um, Biden's running into an issue where he's fighting with everybody. Right. You're fighting with the Saudis, um, kind of begging them uh, kind of on the side to not inc- or to not cut production. And then just out of out of the blue, they cut production. So obviously it looks like and on the, they called him out for politicizing it, um, which I mean, everybody does. Every president probably since, you know, gasoline was 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 running could, has been politicizing. Could you elaborate on the Saudi situation a little bit? Because like I, I kind of like I was so, saw a headline the other day. I was talking about how like the Saudis could basically embarrassed Biden or what's like, sure what went uh, down with that. Whatever line? clickbait you're reading is is yeah. I'm sure there there's some great adjectives yeah. for it. But basically, you're looking at OPEC plus, which is just the normal 13 member OPEC nation plus Russia, a couple other countries, but it's mostly Saudi Arabia and Russia. Right. And so with the oil sanctions on Russia, right, that we levied last year, right, it didn't really do anything. So whenever you hear about this, about this Putin's war on oil and it's all Putin's fault, it's kind of bullshit because we're basically not taking any supply out of the out of the global market. That Russian oil is actually going to China. Sure. Now, normally, if you would if you would be smart, you'd be able to leverage the Saudis against Russia because the Saudis are China's, you know, like. Uh, Asia is pretty much where the Saudis want to start selling oil to, right? And so it's like we it. So um, let me think how I'm going to say this. <clears throat> so there is a direct conflict between Russia and Saudis selling China oil, right? 
But Biden doesn't exploit that. What he does, he goes on the attack saying, you guys got to cut production. You, you mean a conflict between China well, and Russia? Well, there's a, a, like a, like comp- a competition. Competition is yeah, a much yeah. better word. Thank you. So there's a competition between the two for basically China, India. Um, I think it was last month or something like that. Russian, about a million barrels of oil per day went into India, which is the highest ever. So you're not just like... You're not really sanctioning Russia's oil and stopping that oil from getting to the market. You're just shifting where it's going, right? It's going to China, to India. Um, and so, the see, the, the thing is, in the, in the past, back in, like, before – so back, I'd say, pre-2007, back before this, like, tight oil, oil boom exploded in the U.S., we were on the hook for OPEC oil, right? It was basically OPEC in Canada. That was supplying all our oil. For the last 45 years uh, – U.S. oil production has been in this irreversible decline, right? And it only took until, uh, well, in 2007, we started horizontal drilling and fracturing, and that just unlocked an ocean of oil, caused a whole bunch of drilling during the next 10 years, and we were at 13 million barrels per day. The problem is um, we sort of lost uh, so as as that oil production went up, we lost our dependence to Saudi Arabia, if that makes sense. Yeah. We're no longer beholden to them for, for oil, and they know it, right? So the, the U.S. consumes an ungodly amount of petroleum, right? And it's been that way for decades, like a pretty pretty even line. We've been, we've, been, we've been consuming up to about 20 million barrels per day of petroleum products for about, you know, decades. Uh, between 15 and 20, I'd say, right? Yeah. But there's not huge growth. All the growth is going to come from China. So when when uh, so when Biden goes to, I guess, convince the Saudis to cut production, he can't really work from a point of leverage because the Saudis don't need us anymore. Sure. And in fact, like a couple of weeks ago, the Saudis came out with their with the with a new foreign policy that was basically Saudi first, right? Kind of like America first, but Saudi first. So you're running into a war between the Saudis and Biden, and they can wait it out, right? Like they can produce oil pretty cheap. The U.S. producers, the problem is if we don't have higher prices, the higher cost— It's not cost, economical for us. It's, it'll be less economical how much, for us. How much—like what's the difference? Like how much more expensive is it? I mean I'm not expecting you to give me like an exact number, right. but like roughly— Today how much oil more? was trading for $88, $89, yeah. right? One year ago— it was trading for like $83, $84. So it wasn't some exorbitant fucking price, right, that we're suddenly paying. We paid a lot during the summer, but a lot of that had to do with uh, with uh, oncoming demand. But it was it's what's interesting, actually, is that it actually, the demand growth that's been taking place has been sort of masked a little bit. It's been sort of disguised. And I don't know, if, I don't think it's on purpose or anything like that. Um, but over the summer, say in August, uh, July, August, the EIA numbers for consumption were basically like we were consuming the same amount we were in 2020 during the summer, which is completely ridiculous because we were consuming, you know, you remember what it was like driving through the pandemic because yeah, yeah, nobody no else was. Sure. Yeah. It was like, uh, it was like walking dead, like the, the very beginning, like it's such a wide open road. And so, um, wait, where was I? You're talking about consumption of, of, okay, okay, of okay. oil during t- in 2020 versus now. How the, right, right. How the so, okay, are, okay. Yeah. So what's interesting is that recently the EIA came out and, I mean, like, numbers are made to be revised, right? So they, re- they do revisions all the time. But this one was more interesting because everybody called out that we were, we were consuming more. The refiners were telling us they were seeing stronger demand. 
Companies were saying they were seeing stronger demand. It's clear that there that 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 the American economy was kind of chugging along, right? Like the roads are about as packed as I can even ever remember. Yeah. Um, but supposedly, according to the statistics, we were consuming less than two years ago when there was nobody on the road. So recently, they just revised their numbers. Um, and if you don't look, you'll never find them. Uh, by about half a million barrels per day higher than what they thought it was. So I'm kind of curious how many more revisions we're going to see until we start seeing the true demand. Do we know why that revision took place? Um, so it gets into the complicated methodology of how the EIA calculates it, but I would um, I don't even want to venture a guess yeah, as to why they would do that. It sounds, um, it sounds boring. You have you you technically have two sets of numbers every week that come out, right? You have the EIA numbers and you have the API numbers, which is just like industry numbers. And it's just interesting how much of a gap there was, right? And so like that gets into a whole nother question of of supply, of kind of this false sense of supply, right? Um when you get into uh inventory levels, right? We've been seeing like drawdowns. There was a, there was recently a really big drawdown, but we've been seeing uh, big drawdowns in the summer, and then during the fall, it sort of started coming up a little bit, uh, a little bit at a time. And what's interesting is that you have to take into account that the White House is releasing about a million barrels per day from the SPR, right? So they're trying to keep that number inflated. Now, what's interesting the last uh, I. Uh, the the last set of numbers was that there was a huge draw on crude oil inventories, but it was happening without like uh, or it was happening with the SPR releases, right? So it's actually when when those SPR releases stop, which they're supposed to over the next like two months, um, we're going to really start to see the the true supply demand picture, and I think it's extremely bullish for oil. Um, there's uh, there was another part that I wanted to that I wanted to talk about real quick. Could, um, could I actually I want to kind of you you talked about the the reserves. Uh, how does that really work? Like okay, like you know you kind of like it. it I was there's always some... scheduled releases of the SPR. You're yeah. constantly filling it, refilling it. Yeah. Right. And so and the the government's obviously purchasing that from sure. So they're account. basically selling that oil on the open market. And there's there's a certain amount of heavy oil or sour. There's a certain amount of light oil. Um, so like light oil would be more more like tend more we've been more refined into gasoline products um the sour is more like distillates like diesel and so it's kind of interesting how how the spr has been releasing a lot of sour oil and they're we're now down so it's typically it was about 400 million barrels i believe um and i believe we're down to about half that okay so like we are we're we're we're, we're starting to chunk into it right quite a bit and one of the issues there is that the gravy train is going to stop eventually we were doing about nine hundred thousand to a million barrels per day since march or april yeah right and presumably at some point they have to refill it right yeah. right so the idea is obviously you, ref, you you buy it back when oil is cheap but what happens if demand is stronger than you're than sure. you're letting on i wouldn't expect most officials at the White House to understand the dynamics of supply and demand like the industry does. But you can't agree with the industry because you want you're attacking the industry because you're sure looking for those midterm votes. So what's the uh, what's the end game for the for the US here? 
So uh, we'll again we'll find out how how um, insistent Biden is um, after the midterms in attacking oil. Uh, we'll see if he can if he can bridge the wide gap that he's burned with Saudi Arabia. Uh, the Saudis have already basically declared they're on Russia's side. Um, and I believe that they they applied to be part of BRIC, which is Brazil. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, so anyways, um, we have to fact check that for sure, because somebody somebody recently was trying to get into BRIC that that was interesting because it's like the up and comer like India, China. Sure. Sure. That. That's that's not Team West. Is, so, who's who's in BRICS right now? Is it Brazil, India, China? Is Russia in BRICS? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the natural. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Took me a second to think of that. Um, so, what are what are some uh, like kind of key investment like opportunities that you see around all of this? So we had like kind of like you know we have the diesel shortage. Is there any right. is there any opportunity right now like a qu- a near term thing for the diesel well, shortage? I think that uh, well. My readers and I, I'm sure you can have a link right here. Sure. That you can, that you sure. can take a look well, at. You can promote yourself, Keith. We, um, we were looking in the drillers earlier in the year. We made made out handsomely yeah. on, our, on the drillers. There was probably even second and third buying opportunities with drillers. And then probably around midsummer, we shifted toward refiners. And you get massive um, dividends from that sector or from, from that area. Are those MLPs? Uh, MLPs or some are MLPs, some are, some are just normal corporations. Um, but the, the difference that sets them aside is the dividend, right? You're not expecting a lot of growth out of, out out of a solid dividend paying stock, which sort of makes sense. Um, which a whole nother thing we should probably talk about at some other podcast is Brazil and what's going on down there with the elections. Because Petrobras has like a 50% div- annual so, dividend right now. So that was actually something I was looking into, and I don't know if you're like prepared to comment on it, but uh, there was basically like a huge surge in uh, imports into Brazil recently because of some a drought. Uh, and okay. is that is is that going to kind of impact the situation? Is that going to reduce this? I still feel like I got to do my due diligence on Brazil. Sure. Um, I think the big story out there right now is, is what's going to be the fallout of this election. Okay. Basically of Lula, who's like pretty much, uh, socialist, um, going up against Bolsonaro, who was pretty much their version of Trump. And although Bolsonaro was supposed to win handedly, he actually squeaked out a loss. Okay. And so it was one of those 51-49 type situations. And right now, today, you have tens of millions of people protesting. Mm. You have to wonder what's – I mean, Brazil doesn't really exactly have a great track record for stability. Yeah. Um, this is also going to majorly affect the um, Petrobras, which pays out a, a rather massive dividend that I don't know if it's, un- if it's sustainable. I don't think it is. But um, – if you're going to see Lula start messing around with like um, price subsidies mm-hmm. and all that, you're going to have an issue. So that's like a kind of a dangerous, risky area to take a look at now. And if you see an opportunity there, stay you know, away that's, from it. Well, I mean, if you see an opportunity there that that makes sense, maybe. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting how how like it's going to fall out with oil production and all that because um, we know the story of. Venezuela, when that na- when when that got nationalized, they basically kicked out every 
oil major in the country and just seized all their property at once. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're going to it's going to be interesting to take a look at Brazil over the next three months, I'd say. All right. What about the uh, kind of European energy crisis? Uh, what's the right. what are the investment opportunities there? So last time we talked about LNG, right? Yeah. Um, I told you about tanker stocks. I told you about um, just natural gas producers. Yeah. Right now, natural gas in the United States is actually falling because inventories are rising. Yeah. Um, we produce a massive amount of natural gas in the United yeah. States. When did they start falling? Because I feel like, but from the time that we had that conversation, <clears throat> LNG must have still been okay. LNG is doing great. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about natural gas at the at the Henry Hub, okay, which gotcha. is basically the that's the, the U.S. The US main, the, yeah, that's where you get natural gas. Okay. And so what's interesting is that uh, LNG is the future. Like, there's no doubt. Um, and so the EU, when we talked about it last time, we, we, were, we were questioning the storage levels, right? Uh, there was a scramble to store gas for the winter, right? The problem is um, they basically answered the call handedly. They There's a glut of LNG just headed toward Europe. There's a tanker shortage. You have you have tanker you have you have LNG tankers that have to circle islands because they have no they have, they can't drop off their cargo at the time, right? Uh, they have to wait like a week or so. Um so the uh so I think the opportunity there specifically is in the facility in the regasification facilities to get that gas into Europe. Right now, there's a there's a gas. Uh, there are companies that operate those facilities that are publicly traded, or yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, we talk about them in the Energy Investor, and um, we are actually coming up on a on an interesting stock play. Uh, it's an LNG player, and they're in that position where they can provide regasification services as well as tanker services. Yeah. So. Um, well, you, you are the, the second person to come on this podcast recently that's been very bullish on the tankers. The uh, other person being uh, Christian, Mr. Christian DeHamer. Me, me and Chris might have to talk about the tanker market. I'm not as... Is he stealing your ideas? Or I'm not as convinced about the oil tanker markets. Okay. Um, I think LNG is... And, and I'm not really bullish on LNG tanker market uh, plays in the short term because of this glut, right? Tanker tanker rates are falling. Um. I think long term, I don't. I think you, I don't think you can go wrong with the right LNG play. Um, I, I'm looking at U.S. exporters like Chenier is a is a great opportunity. Yeah. Um, the Freeport facility is supposed to come back online after after damage. Um, so you is have that part a, of Chenier as well. Uh, no, that's uh, that's Freeport. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of the Tegra fan. People can Google it. Right. You can flash it on the screen. Whatever. Right. Sure. So, so just to sum up, basically the the European situation, um, you're looking at a situation that right now storage levels hit 95 percent. I think that was the last numbers like this week. So they've made their goal. They made their deadline. Um, now what's interesting is the gas flows, right? Because you can have as much storage as you want if if. The, if the winter doesn't turn out to be as mild as, as it has been, mm-hmm. then you're going to get into deep water really quick. And I think the IEA recently just warned about um, gas shortages in Europe during the winter. Yeah. Um, so inventory levels are high, but when they start eating into that, you don't have the gas flow that you used to, right? You don't have the North Stream online anymore. Um, 
who knows who's sabotaging that. The Russians say the British are doing it. The British say the Russians are doing it. Um, Sweden's not telling anybody who the, what their investigation's coming up with. So, like, that's going to be an interesting little little thing to, to, to pay attention to. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, so, where was I on? Yeah, what was I saying about uh, before this, before I went on my little, little Nordstrom rant? So, gas flows. I'm sorry. So... What's going to be interesting is is whether or not the gas flows can be increased because your um, LNG is going to make its way to Europe, right? But they don't have the facilities in place to take it to like places like Germany. That's why Germany is looking to build LNG facilities now. But that's going to take billions of dollars in five years. So where do where do most of our exports go? Is that right all now the our UK? biggest? Our right now our biggest. Uh, I, I believe our biggest customer is Europe, which okay. makes sense. Yeah. Um, but is it is it the is it any country in speci- specifically in the in the UK, in the in Europe that's well to wherever the regasification places are like gotcha. Spain, yeah. uh, Greece, Italy. Okay. Um, but the pipeline infrastructure doesn't really exist to get that, to get that to, inland. Yeah. yeah. So they, can they truck it in? I mean, obviously not. It's not as efficient. No. But no, you can't. Yeah, so, I mean, if you could so I, if you I, could truck natural gas, uh, it'd be a whole different situation. So here. I was reading some research on on Germany, and the shit is crazy. They're like, people are stealing firewood, and they're starting to put. Uh, I think it's in Germany. They're putting like GPS trackers in logs to track that the would make fi- sense. Firewood theft, which just sounds like something that I would like, make sense. A dystopian. I think it's. I think that Germany's more of a lesson and one that I don't see people getting. Right. Yeah. I uh, I don't think they're getting this lesson of. If we switch to renewables too quickly and we burn our bridges with fossil fuels, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Like, like we've said this for, for more than a decade. Sure. Like, this bridge is not going to happen overnight. Natural gas is the most uh, – it makes the most sense to go natural gas as the bridge to renewables. Yeah. But at it's a time, get At a time dicey. like this, it seems really crazy to me that you have kind of like the White House currently like trying to do- – they're dying on that hill – of you know being so anti-oil it just seems like you know when is it like a politically like intelligent move to just pivot i'll let your audience decide who um how political it's it's been because i'm sure everybody's got a team that they like to play for yeah sometimes you just want to sit back on the on the bleachers and look from above and then well we're going to find out in about a week and a half where we really stand and i don't know it's going to get uh pretty interesting all right keith it's been nice having you on uh, it is always a pleasure to come on. Uh, we got to do this again soon. I'm into it. Excellent. Uh, can we? Uh, well, everyone, like, comment, and subscribe, uh, and we'll see you next time. But uh, if we can add some bonus content, sure. Uh, Jesus Lord, good start to the bonus content. Cracking the. I, I want to talk about. Info? I want to talk a little bit on the tech side of things because you sure. also, you know, you're you. I think like your core focus is has always been energy, but you know, you, you kind of recently moved into the tech side, and I think you got some. Some insight here. Uh, I've been, I've been, I, I bought Meta yesterday. Okay. I, I, and I don't. I bought Meta platforms. I don't ever like. Is it really... because Elon, or is it because uh, I'm sorry, because Zuckerberg is doubling down and just. No, so it is because it's a, it's a combination of the fact that the price has been absolutely freaking demolished this year, um, and they're like it's part of it's a value play in my in my eye, and then the other part is that the uh, the FCC commissioner came out earlier this week was talking about banning TikTok, uh, which is a absolutely massive um, massive. Do you company, think that's going to happen, or do you think that's a threat to? I because obviously it's... we've been in a so obviously the the 
this cold war with this cold tech war with China has been heating up. Yeah. Right. And it's been bubbling over and bubbling over. And, and Biden's chips act is probably the latest like well, I missile think, launch. I over think that's that just begin. I think it's just beginning. And that's why I think that this is not just like I don't think it's just lip service. I think that they are preparing the the U.S. market for this type of ban. I really think that like we are entering a serious long term Cold War with China. It seems that the like the, the fact that they did the Chips Act seems like a very like that's a that's a major. That's a, you're crushing step. China's semiconductor industry. Oh, they're absolutely crushing. crushing it. But Abs- it also hurts. It hurts us as well. It creates a lot of inflationary uh, um, uh, pressure on on tech stocks. Probably. I mean. I'm not sure. Maybe increases the chance that they want to invade Ta- that they would invade Taiwan because now that's a now that is the probably the elephant in the room that people should start talking about because is the question is is China emboldened by Russia's strategy to attack and then I, when, I and then pull back and be. be like all right I'll annex Crimea that's okay yeah pull back all right well and we just want the Dunbass to have to have a uh, yeah yeah uh, to have free elections and then just load up the Dunbass with your voters mm-hmm. so is china emboldened from russia and obviously the two are, are very close um i feel like they're like i don't know like it's like they're adversaries but they also like have it's the enemy of my enemy is my friend situation it seems as much as i want to say it's a ridiculous notion that china would go toe-to-toe with the u.s militarily yeah like that um like was when when russia attacked ukraine they probably had no idea what they were getting into um, I, I don't even think Russian forces understood how ill-equipped they were, you know. Um, and so what's 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 interesting about China is I don't know. Um, I hope not. I hope they they back off and turn tail and piss themselves. But I don't oh, I, I can't really see that happening either. Um, so what's next? You know. All right. As far as uh, Zuckerberg's uh, meta meta. You right know, ambitions go who's gonna if, if anyone brings the ar vr uh you know like that brings the metaverse to life who's it gonna be is it is it facebook is it apple is it or is it somebody else i'll tell you what makes me bullish on meta is the fact that kramer is bearish okay yeah you're, okay. you're taking the anti uh um anti-kramer yeah. index i mean he's done it with oil uh, i i can remember wanting to trade continental resources the yeah. second has he uh, he went bullish on it. I wanted to start buying puts right away. And so is he? He's bearish on Meta now. Like he's. I'm he, pretty he, sure. So he he, he started out extremely bullish. Yeah. And then he had his his profuse apology just recently. He broke t- I didn't. I, I saw the headlines that he was crying on air. I remember listening to it uh, coming into work, and I remember he was just just sobbing, and he was, yeah. he was very contrite and very sad. And sure. Very very bearish on on this this crazy. Tech stock. Have you ever been wrong about a, a stock pick? Of course, I've been wrong. Have you ever cried about it? I've never cried about a stock pick. Pro- I could probably think of a few that have gotten me close. <laughs> All right, Keith. <laughs> uh, good seeing you. All right, thank you. Take it easy.